I won't tell any other services, but I am so proud of our creative team here at New Spring. Working for me is probably not the easiest thing in the world because I spin off ideas every few seconds, you know. So when I was talking about the series, I said, I would love it if the J could be animated because the Jesus life is organic and they figured out how to do that. Don't they do a great job? Wow, that's just awesome. I'm going to ask you a question, but it's a trick question, so don't answer, okay? Yeah, I promise you before I ask, it's a trick question. Here's the question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? The reason why you shouldn't answer that question is because the term Christian means so many different things to different people. It's a good word. It's just that it means a lot of different things. For instance, for a lot of people, it's a nomenclature term. It's, a, it's an attempt to classify world religions. So if a person said, I consider myself a Christian, it would be in contradistinction to being a follower of Islam or a Buddhist or um, a Hindu or an, an atheist. So it, it's a word of classification. But as you can understand, that might not be, uh, their idea of Christian may not be the word of God's idea of Christian. In fact, I'm always amazed at what people who call themselves Christians claim to believe. So, but the issue is, the reason they would say that they're a Christian, they're just sort of looking at what they believe and what their tradition is, and they're referring to other religions by distinction. So the first answer might be from nomenclature. The second answer would be, uh, well, I think Christians believe X or Y or a set of beliefs. And so people are Christians who believe this, people are not Christians who don't believe this. And so, you know, it depends on whether you come from a friendly perspective toward Christianity or or an unfriendly perspective. People who have an unfriendly perspective toward Christianity would say, well, Christians believe this stuff and it's toxic and so that's why I'm not a Christian. On the other hand, people who would consider themselves friendly toward Christianity would say, well, Christians believe these truths. Hey, I know that many of you may know this already, but just in case you might not know, I want you to understand that the term Christian did not come from Jesus, nor did it come from other followers of Jesus. Good term. I'm not knocking it. I, and if you ask me, what are you? I would say, well, I'm a Christian. But I just want you to understand that Jesus did not teach on the earth and say, okay, all of you who follow me, you're now Christians. Uh, the disciples, uh, the 12, who, or the 11, if you think about Judas not being there, and of course they brought in Matthias, but if you look at the disciples, when they started the early church on that day of Pentecost when thousands of people embraced Christ, Peter did not say, okay, you guys are now all Christians. Peter didn't say that. That term, was, term hadn't been invented yet. Nor did the church of Jerusalem that experienced explosive growth during those days. Never did they say to their people, okay, now you have become a Christian. In fact, the first time the term was ever used, it was hung on the followers of Jesus by outsiders. Let me read this to you. This is in the book of Acts chapter 11. And you can imagine, those of you who know that Acts is the history of the church, For it to be chapter 11, you know that happened pretty late in the Christian story. But in Acts 11, verse 26, the Bible says it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Well, go back to the first thing I talked about, how the term Christian often is an attempt to, um, to classify people who believe a certain thing. The people on the outside who saw this burgeoning, exploding group of people had to have some kind of moniker to hang on them. They clearly were not Jewish in the traditional sense. They were not worshipers of the Caesar like the Romans were. They they were not polytheists like the Greeks. They did not have Eastern belief systems. So consequently, people had to come up with some sort of term to identify them, and they said, oh, they are Christians. Now, just so that we'll unpack that and know what they were saying, the term Christ or the, the 
And by the way, never forget Jesus is a name. Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek version of the word Messiah. So these people who gathered said, we believe that Messiah has come. We believe that the Christ has come. So outsiders looked at them and said, these people are Messiahs. These people are Christians. They believe that the Messiah has come. So I just want you to understand that the name Christian was not given by Jesus, nor was it given by the disciples. But here's the most important thing that I can say to you in regard to everything I've said up to this moment. They lived the life first. The name came later. See, we, we, we have an idea today in our culture that someone becomes a Christian and then they live the life. But I notice that when the first Christians were named, they lived the life first. They lived the Jesus life. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about for these next six weeks, the Jesus life. I mean, where would you go to learn the Jesus life? You could go to a theology school and learn to be a Christian. You could join some churches and learn some Christian truth. But where would you go to learn the organic, real, growing, vibrant Jesus life? Well, you say, well, Mark, that's real simple. You go to the Bible. Good answer. But the Bible is a big book. I mean, it's 66 books within one book. You know, every once in a while, someone will say to me, how do you know that a group of men didn't get together and just write it? Well, first of all, that's about the silliest question anybody could ask. Ask Because for one thing, it was written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years, so it's not possible for them to get in one room. But setting that aside for a moment, where would you go in the Bible to find the Jesus life? Well, I remember when I was in college, I don't know what they're called today, but when I was in college, I used to love Cliff Notes. Because a lot of times I was assigned to read a book, and I would try to read the book, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. So before the final came up, or before I had to write a paper, I would get the Cliff Note version. I would get this abridged, abbreviated, but with the high points and the main points. So where would you go in the Bible to find the Cliff Note version of the Jesus life? I'm not a Bible scholar, but Bible scholars pretty well uniformly, especially New Testament scholars, will say that the most important book of the New Testament is a book called 1 John. It's five chapters long. I love the shortness of it. That's going to be beneficial to us. It's written toward the end of the first century. It is written by the apostle John, who was the one whom Jesus called. Um, And he seems to have been very close personally to Jesus because as Jesus was dying, Jesus turned his mother Mary over to John's care. You got to be buddies to do that. So John is someone who was very close to Jesus. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration when God revealed the glory of Jesus Um, He was there in the garden where Jesus prayed. So consequently, John is one of the closest. He probably was the closest human being to Jesus. But now John is getting close to 90 years old. He is the pastor at a church called Ephesus. And uh, it's just a great story. In fact, he probably wrote 1 John not long before he was banished to the island of Patmos where God gave him the book of Revelation. So... Here we are. John is writing toward the end of his life. And this is what is really interesting because as you study the New Testament, you'll find that writers oftentimes wrote to a particular group of people or people in a particular location. Take Ephesians, for instance. Ephesians is written to the people, the church of Ephesus. But when you go into the book of 1 John, he's writing to Christians everywhere, which means he's writing to you. And that's why we're going to spend these six weeks just taking apart the book of 1 John. Okay, a moment of supreme honesty. I have always been very challenged when it comes to 1 John, and I'll tell you why. 
uh, being ADD and having a mind that just craves organization, First John can drive me crazy. That's just essence of full disclosure. Because there are four topics in the book of First John, four major topics. But John keeps weaving them in and out. So he'll talk about topic one, then topic three, and then topic two, and then topic four, and topic one. And so trying to teach it verse by verse is something that has had me, you know, in a corner talking to myself. So here is what I did as we got ready for this series. I took those four topics, and I pulled the verses together and created columns where all of the verses relating to that topic were. And then I'm going to teach you for six weeks those four themes that lead up to the Jesus life. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the basis of the Jesus life. Because before you can get into what to do, John is going to lay out for us the basis of identifying who we are. And um, so today, that's, that's all we're going to work on. In fact, today's title is simply called, It's Not a Religion. It's Not a Religion. And we know that because time after time, John is going to talk to us about the importance of believing. Now, the moment I talk about that, you know, um, uh, when I talk about believing, a lot of people through the years have said to me, Mark, it can't be that simple. You know, yeah, believing is cool. You should believe, but you got to do, you got to do, you, you know, it's one thing to believe, but boy, in order to get into heaven, you got to do, you got to do this. You got to do that. And especially those of us who grew up in a religious tradition, we have all these rules that have been placed on us by men. And so, well, yeah, you got to believe, but then you got to do. Well, there's a problem with that. Actually, there are three problems with that. First problem is, is God didn't say that. God said the very opposite. In fact, scores and scores of times in the Bible, when we're told about how to have a relationship with God, the word, the verb, is believe. Most, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him has everlasting life. Acts 16, 31, after the Philippian jailer beat Paul and Silas, and the earthquake came, and the jailer knew that he was in trouble with God. Do you remember his question? I mean, this is, this is so simple, it'd be like breaking a BB to tear this apart. The jailer said to them, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, believe, believe. Romans 6, 23, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, John 5, 24, John 10, you know, over and over and over, scores of times, we are told that the way to have a relationship with God is belief. So if someone said, well, I think it's got to be more than believing, you got a problem because God didn't say that. In fact, God said the very opposite. Here's the second thing. Just what would anyone do to merit eternal life? Simply put, what do you have on your table that you could offer God and say, now I deserve eternal life. I'm, I'm giving you this. I'm doing this. Just what would you do? What, 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 what do you have in mind to do that would pay for all your sins and buy your everlasting life in heaven? I don't think we'll have to pursue that very long before we know the answer is Nothing. No wonder the songwriter wrote, and we sing this every once in a while, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross of Christ I cling. Or as the great scholar said, upon a life I did not live and upon a death I did not die, I hang all my hope. The third problem that we would have with saying that you have to do something in order to go to heaven is that incenses God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, it is by grace that you are saved. What is grace? The Greek word charis, from which we draw our word grace, means gift. It means God giving us what we do not deserve. So consequently, the Bible says, it is by grace that you are saved, through faith, same word as believing, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, not of doing. Why? 
Because the Bible says if, if someone did something to get to heaven, they would get to heaven and they would boast. And God will not have any boasting in heaven other than boasting in his son, Jesus Christ. So consequently, if anyone is here today and you say, Mark, I don't think that believing is all that important. I think you have to do. Well, then there are three infinite problems with that. That's not what God said. Number two, just what would we do? And number three, God gets incensed when anyone suggests that anything he's done might merit heaven. But there is a practical side of this. You know, I'm a, I'm a very practical person. And I really believe as you explore what God says about believing, you will see that there's a great practicality to this. Because here's the thing. Everything you do is based on what you believe. Not what you think. Because you and I think things, but we don't act. But when we believe something, we act. For instance, this is simplistic and silly, but if I was standing on a train track and I believed a train was coming, if I believed it was coming, not if I'd heard one was coming, but if I believed it was coming, I'm getting off. Because we do what we do in response to what we believe. Just work with me for a moment. We need to really bear down on this and understand there's, a, there's an eternal difference between believing something and thinking something. If we think something, there's still an element of doubt. But at the moment we believe something, we have factored it in as truth in our lives. We have said, I have done the accounting on this. I've explored the upside and the downside of this being true. And I have crossed the threshold of proof. And now I believe this and therefore I own it. So consequently, we do what we do based on what we believe. Now, somebody could say, well, Mark, I got one more thing I want to ask you before we get started today. You always say it's not a religion and it's not about rules. But when I open the Bible, I see a lot of commands. So what's the difference between a rule-based religion and a relationship with God? Let me show you. And if you've been in religion, you're going to know this right out of the box. Here's religion. In religion, that's rule-based, you do X to achieve Y. In other words, you're not going to achieve Y until you do X. In, in some religions, you've got to join a church, you have to give money, you have to you know, know the secret handshakes and sort of the secret code of belonging to a religion. You have to do X to receive Y. Let me show you what a relationship with God is. Look at this. Relationship means believing God is who he says he is and believing I am who he says I am. I trust God to show me how to live my life. Can you feel the difference? Somebody who's a cynical person would say, hey, Mark, it still sounds like rules to me. Now, let me just be real honest with you because every once in a while, someone will come in a new spring and they say, oh, it's not about rules, it's about a relationship. I can go out and do anything I want to do. Hey, there's a word for someone who approaches a relationship with the idea, I can do anything I want to do. The word is sociopath. Right? I mean, that's why we have all these horrible stories coming out about spousal abuse. And I mean, because somebody went into a relationship and said, I can do anything I want to do. When I became Mary Alice's husband, I'm going to make sure I get this right. On June 11th, <laughs> 1977... I was not responding to a list of rules that I had to keep in order to be Mary Alice Hoover's husband. But I will tell you this, I think every day about what I need to do because I am her husband. Do you, do you understand the distinction there? Because if you do, the Christian life will begin to make sense to you. I'm not living this life to be accepted. The thing about being in a relationship with God is God is saying, come as you are. 
Come with all your flaws. You don't, God is saying, I will accept you right now. I will, I will accept you at the beginning. You're accepted. But because you have been accepted, and because of your new identity as a princess of God, or a prince of God, now go out and live the life. Go out and live the Jesus life. That's what John's going to talk to us about today. So you ready to work? If you came in, you got a worship folder, you got 10 statements with fill in the blanks. If you um, came in and, and you didn't get a worship folder, there's, there's one in the seat back in front of you. You can get that and take these notes because you're going to need to have these 10 statements. Best yet, if you download the, um, if you download the, the document from streaming, if you're watching online right now, you can just touch the blank and it'll, it'll appear. So I love that. So I want you to have these 10 statements. And here, and a lot to, I, it scares me when a minister says he has 10 points. Well, we're going to go really fast through these, and the next, the second one hinges on the first, the third one hinges on the first two, so they're telescopic in nature. But we're, we're exploring the Jesus life, and John now is saying, look, if you're going to live the Jesus life, you have to know the basis of it. Now, for the next four weeks, five weeks, we're going to talk about what we need to do in the Jesus life, but today it's all about believing. It's all about the basis of our life with Jesus Christ. You ready to go to work? Here's the first one. This is my favorite statement in the book of 1 John. It's in chapter 5 and the 20th verse. The Bible simply says this, the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. The first thing that John wants you to understand is that Jesus has come and given us the ability to understand the true God. You know, my dad used to make, he, one of, my dad taught me axioms for living. He was kind of a country meat and taters kind of guy, but he taught me so much wisdom growing up. And dad used to tell me, Mark, most problems in life happen because of a misunderstanding. And he would say to me, Mark, the way to keep from having a misunderstanding is to have an understanding. That's good, isn't it? The way to keep from having a misunderstanding is to have an understanding. Well, the authorized translation actually puts that determiner in there, that article. It says, the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. In other words, there's, there are truths about God that you and I could never figure out on our own. So God wanted to reveal those to us, and he sent his Son into the world to give us the ability to understand God. Every once in a while, someone will tell me all religions are the same. I think, well, you, you haven't read much. Um, I mean, if you want to say all religions are the same in the fact that none of them get you anywhere, that's technically true, but they're not the same. I mean, when you look at, say, Buddhism, well, let's start with Hinduism. Um, Hinduism is sort of like a, an amalgamation or it's like a, a compilation of belief systems that people had, and so they really don't get their primary messages from God or from angels or anything else. It's just sort of like these are what we consider the eternal truths. Everybody agrees on these, so these are going to be the foundation of Hinduism. Well, the Buddha came along and he said, I don't know that it really answers the thing about suffering. He kind of meditated for 48 days and went off in his own direction. And he just left in a stage of enlightenment, state of enlightenment, he kind of left some observations. In Islam, um, according to their belief system, the angel Gabriel revealed some things to the prophet Muhammad, and the followers of Islam follow those things. And there are other belief systems where a leader, a man or a woman, started a religion. There are belief systems in which they say an angel gave them this special document. But the thing I love about the Jesus life is that God himself sent his son. Not, not an angel, not a prophet. God sent his son. I mean, God sent 
the second member of the Godhead, the Trinity. Jesus came into our world, God in skin, so that we would have an understanding, so that we would have the capability of understanding. Listen, if you want to know God, you want to know who God is, look at Jesus holding children and blessing them. You want to know who God is? Look at him finding that woman at his feet who has been slung down because she was found in the act of adultery. And they said, Moses said, Stoner, what do you say? And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See him turning to the thief on the cross who had wasted his entire life with nothing left to give and see him forgiving him and inviting him to meet him later in heaven that day. See Jesus hanging on the cross. You're looking at God willing to die before he would let you go. The Son of God, the Son of God has come and given us the ability to understand God. That's my favorite line in the book of John. Number two, okay, statement number two. And John gives us this message over and over. And you'll see it when you read. This is 1 John 1, 2. Right at the beginning of the book, he is the one who is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. When I was a kid growing up and heard sermons, I had the idea that Jesus is standing there and he has eternal life in his hand. But it's not like that. He is eternal life. And when you accept Jesus, you have life. If you reject Jesus, you reject life. I'm moving now to the last chapter in 1 John. If you're, if you, again, there are only like two or three pages in the New Spring Bible. So turn to the end. In John, 1 John chapter 5 and the 12th verse, here's how the Bible says it. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Well, that could be a little bit scary. So somebody could say, well, Mark, how do I know? I mean, I, I believe, but how do, how do I know if I have Jesus in my life? Hey, we're going to do an exercise, and you're gonna, you'll, you'll know by the time we finish this exercise, okay? <clears throat> Suppose you go home this afternoon. There's a knock on your door. Doorbell rings. You go to the door. It's Jesus. Hey, you know what? That's, I'm, this is Bible. Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock, okay? Jesus said that. So he's standing at your door knocking. And Jesus is like, can I just live with you for a while? Now, what's your attitude toward that? Are you kidding me? The son of God living in my house? I mean, tonight I've got so many questions. I can't wait to ask you all these questions that I have about God. It's going to be so cool. Man, family devotions tonight is going to rock. <laughs> you get up to go to work and you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. I got to work with this crazy person at work. And she just drives the life out of me. Can you, like, help me with that today? And like, Jesus, you know, there's just so many things I can't get right in my life. I mean, you know, there are people who have a life coach. Man, to have you here and coach me up on how to live, would that be your approach? Or on the other hand, would it be like, yeah, I don't know. Man, there's a lot of stuff I like to do. And, man, having you in my house would crimp my style. I mean... You know, there'd be some stuff that would have to go. Boy, Netflix would be sending me messages saying, what happened to you? <laughs> you got your answer. You got your answer. The Bible says whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son doesn't have life. So here's the thing. Who is Jesus to you? Okay, number three. God wanted to make this life available to you. Hey, I love this because you know what? There are people that like, they only want a certain kind of people in their circle. 
If you're part of a particular race, you can't be in their circle. If you're not part of their socioeconomic class, you can't be in their circle. If you don't, you know, if you don't like the same sports teams, you can't be in their circle. Isn't it great to know that God wants everybody? It was so important to him that everybody, all races, all people, all classes, and, and people regardless of what they had done, God wanted this life to be available to you. And this is in 1 John 1, 2. The Bible says, the one who is life itself was revealed to us. The word reveal there means to shine the light on. So it isn't just that God sent his son Jesus into the world to give you an understanding. God has shined the light on him. In fact, the fact that you're here today, all the circumstances that have brought you here today are evidence of the fact that God has shined the light on his son in your life so that this life would be available to you. Now, the fourth one I want to just hit real quickly because there are people who would say, well, you know, I'm kind of, I want to see the evidence on the table. And I can be a little bit like that. In fact, I can be a whole lot like that. So I want you to know there is evidence. There is all kinds of evidence of Jesus and who he is. But primary in the book of 1 John is eyewitness evidence. And it isn't just eyewitness evidence. John wants to let us know that his senses, his physical senses were engaged in the person of Christ. And not just in his physical person, but in seeing his supernatural aspects as well. Look at John. He said, we, by the way, it's not just one person. At one point, 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. And consequently, John is reflecting on the fact that some of those people are still alive and others can check him out. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. Verse three, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. John is saying, look, there's a whole bunch of us there. And we saw him and he's not immaterial. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't just something spiritual. He was, he was tangible. We touched him and we heard him. And John is saying, our testimony is real. We have something in common with God. And when you hear this message, you'll have something in common with us. And by extension, have something in common with God. Number five, this one's huge. When we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves inside us. Now, this is in 1 John chapter 4, okay? So again, there's just a few, few pages here, so slip over to chapter 4. And God has given us his Spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God, look at this, have God living in them and they live in God. You know what the word live there means in Greek? It means to live in somebody else's house, just kind of like I talked about a few minutes ago. And so God is saying, look, it's not just that you're gonna receive a message and you're gonna believe. God is saying, I am gonna put one third of the Trinity inside of you. You know, here's the thing. God's Holy Spirit is your ability to communicate with God. Without God's Spirit, and Scripture makes this very clear, without God's Spirit, you have no capability for God to speak to you and for you to communicate with God. See, the problem with being a Christian and not really having a relationship with God is that you communicate something that doesn't exist. Now, guys, I, got, I receive time running away from me, but I've got to teach this today. You have to be really, really old to even know what I'm going to talk about, so I'll try to speak it to all of you who are young so that you'll have history in your life. Long before we had cell phones, 
we had something called CB radio. It was a prehistoric cell phone. Now, for years, nobody much used CB radios. You had them in your automobile, had an antenna on your vehicle, that, and you had like a little microphone, and there were radio frequencies, I think there were 23 channels, where you could talk to other people if you were on the same channel. For some inexplicable, insane reason, CB radios became the rage in the mid and late 70s. And the 70s were a strange period of time. We had just come out of Vietnam and Watergate. We were very strange people. And so consequently, everybody, I mean, you weren't, you weren't anybody if you didn't have an antenna on the back of your car or the top of your car. And, and, and here's the thing. Everybody learned the language, you know, uh, the 10-4 and a good buddy and all that stuff. You know, all the stuff that truckers had invented now, everybody was saying it. I mean, you just, you, don't, you can't understand. You weren't even human if you didn't have a CB radio and you weren't talking to people. Well, I had in those days a brand new Oldsmobile Cutlass, 1977, beautiful automobile. But as, and it was tricked out. But it wasn't right because I didn't have a CB radio. So I had one installed in my car, had the antenna on the back deck of my car everywhere I drove. You know, I was, I was in vogue. But the problem that I had was every time I, the, the CB radio was right down at the bottom of the dash on the left side. Every time I get in the car, bang my knee on the dumb thing. And it was on a sliding tray, and so I just decided I've had enough of that. So I pulled the CB radio out, stuck it in the trunk, but I still left the antenna on. <laughs> I think I've told you, my first church when I graduated from college was in Houston. So I was going down to Houston to speak for the first time from, from Fort, Worth, Fort Worth. So I'm on Highway uh, 45 going south, and I'm driving down the road with Mary Alice, and a trucker comes up. And he's right next to my car, smiling and waving. I smile and wave back. I'm from Texas. I, I get that. So I wave back at him. And then all of a sudden, he pulls out his microphone, and he points to it. He wants to talk to me because he sees I have an antenna on the back of my car. My problem is I can't talk to him. I've got a microphone, but I don't have any radio in my car. It's in the trunk. It, bangs, it makes money, but it won't take the antenna down. So I didn't answer him. So he kind of like edges over toward me a little bit with the truck, which is a little scary thing. And, um, and then he points to his microphone again, and, and, and I couldn't answer him. And I mean, he must have thought I was the most stuck-up guy in the world. Why couldn't I talk to him? I had an antenna. I didn't have the apparatus for communication. And here's the deal. A lot of people call themselves Christians, and they got the antenna on the deck, but they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And see... When you really put your confidence in God, God moves in. God begins to live in you, and you live in him. Well, that's number five, and I've got five more. Okay, so we got to really roll here. And I love this. I think this is my favorite point of the message. Faith turns into knowledge. This is one of the greatest statements you will ever find in your, in your lifetime. First John chapter 5, verse 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that their te this testimony is true. Why is that statement important? Because in our culture today, we're inclined to believe the opposite. Skeptics say, if I can know, I will believe. But that's not how it works. If you believe, if you cross that threshold of belief and you say, I believe, then you will know. Why? Go back to point five. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Not only do you have the evidence that John talked about, 
But now you've got the evidence living inside you. Guys, I could keep you here, and I won't, but I could keep you here for hours telling you about people who walked in those doors as atheists and agnostics and embraced Christ. And I am puzzled at how quickly they become people of enormous faith. If you're thinking about a man who was, an, he was a lifelong agnostic, brilliant man, at the response of an invitation to a, of a family member, he's not from Wichita, walked in our services, an agnostic, accepted Christ, walked out, lived the Jesus life from then on. I'm like, how in the world does that happen? Someone who's a lifelong atheist, agnostic, but it, it's happened. In fact, looking out on the South Worship Center, I could take you to spots where I met people for the first time who said to me, I am an atheist, I'm an agnostic, but they accepted Christ, and they just 180. And many of them have faith, and I'm telling you the truth, they have greater faith than I do. Why? Well, it's exactly the Jesus life. We've been seeing it. God wants to give us an understanding. He wants it available to everybody. And when you put your faith and confidence in Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in. And if you believe, then you will know. Because you will have God living inside of you, which is greater than any tangible proof that the world can offer. Okay, number seven. Here's the seventh statement. We have actually become the children of God. In other words, the relationship that you and I now share with God in the Jesus life is not the relationship of someone who is a servant who can be fired, but a child. One of my favorite statements in the book of John says this, 1 John, the Bible says that whoever is born of God cannot continue on the same lifestyle they had before because his seed, this is interesting, because his seed remains in them. Hey, you know what? Um, we didn't even understand DNA until 1958 and Watson and Crick discovered the long molecule. But it's so interesting because John is using that term. In fact, the Greek word is sperma. He is saying to us, we cannot continue in the old lifestyle because God's DNA is in us. Isn't that awesome? Well, that is so great. Okay, we've become actually children of God. Number eight, eight statement, and this is big. You and I already have eternal life. In 1 John 5, verse 13, this is, we're in chapter 5 now, 13th verse. Some people believe this is the most important verse in 1 John. John says, I have written this. What? 1 John. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's look at this verse for a moment. I have written, 1 John, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may look at that four-letter word. No, not hope. It doesn't say H-O-P-E, it says K-N-O-W. So that you may know that you have, not will have, but you have now eternal life. That's huge. Because a lot of people feel like, well, I'll get eternal life when I die. No, 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 no. If you're already God's child, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. For you to be lost, God would have to concede a third of the Trinity. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit's been given to us as a guarantee of that relationship, as down payment. So if God were to renege on that promise, he'd have to give away a third of the Godhead. He's not going to do that. And that's the thing. When you believe, then you know. And what do you know? You know you already have eternal life. Man, what would you do if you knew you would, couldn't die? Now, I'm going to do something I won't do real often, but I want to just like jump back to the gospel of John, same, same writer, but I want you to see John 5, 24, because he's going to like bring out what he just said a little more. Look at this. You ready? I tell you the truth. 
those who listen to my message. Okay, is that you? And you don't have to raise your hand, but are you listening? You listening to, to God's message? Okay, that's me. I'll listen to God's message. Okay. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, you listen? Are you, do you believe? Okay, that's me. Well, you remember the old game show? Show them what they've won. Well, what do you have? If you listen and you believe, what do you have? Okay. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, notice it doesn't say will have, have eternal life. Well, Mark, what if I blow up my life? What if I go out here and do something really crazy? Or what if I go in this protracted period of doubt, like I have depression and, and I just sometimes doubt what happens if I like just lose my confidence? God surely will kick me out, right? And I'll have to like come back and start over again in the Jesus life. Now look at this. I'll tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Look at this. They will never be condemned for their sins. You say, oh, Mark, I have a hard time believing that. Well, I'll show you why in the next line. Because they have already passed from death to life. If you have put Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in your life, you have already passed from death to life and you cannot die. It is as my friend Adrian Rogers who is in heaven said, if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. And the real you will go right on living. If you believe, you have eternal life right now. Okay, two more I gotta give you in like, can I have an extra minute today? Is that okay? Okay, because now as we've like, okay, we already have eternal life. You say, well, Mark, I think you can lose that life. Well, you, if you do, you don't have eternal life. You have term life. <laughs> See, religion can screw up more stuff. A lot of Christians' heads are all screwed up because of the junk they've learned in religion. How we need to go back to the word of God and get the Jesus life, right? Okay, here's the ninth thing. Because you're in this relationship to God, God listens to you. In, in 1 John chapter 5, one more time, last chapter, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask him for anything that pleases him, and since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know he will give us what we ask for. Oh, see, this is not just the adherent to a religion. This is a relationship. You're a daughter now. You're a son now. You can go talk to your dad in heaven about what you need, and he, I love this, he listens to us. <laughs> hey, you know what? I got to tell you, a lot of times... I, my kids talked to me and I didn't listen to them. I could kind of tune them out. But the Bible says he listens to us. Well, this and I'm finished. Number 10. When we know the relationship that we share with God, his commands are not difficult. 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So next week when we start talking about what God wants us to do in the Jesus life, it, it's all about this relationship. If you know everything about God and how much he loves you, then doing what he asks you to do is never heavy. I've thought a long time about where to leave you at the end of this talk because we're kind of pulling over to the side of the road and next week, actually for two weeks, we're going to talk about the one thing that Jesus wants from you in the Jesus life and you're going to discover that what he wants from you is love. And for two weeks, we're going to just unpack First John and look at the Jesus life. It's a love life. So I got to kind of pull over to the side of the road and close this message. I want to read. I want to leave you with one verse. All who confess, this is First John four fifteen. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. And I love this.
we know how much God loves us. And I just want to sum up this whole sermon in one sentence. And we have put our confidence in his love. How do I know I'm okay today? How do I know I'm on the right track? How do I know that God will never leave me? Because I put my confidence in his love for me. Have you ever talked to Mary Alice and say to Mary Alice, um, do you trust Mark? Do Do you trust that he's been faithful to you? Do you trust he's faithful to you now? Do you trust that he'll be faithful to you in the future? And, and, and someone might suggest, well, you know, Mary Alice will say, yeah, I trust Mark. And, and you would say, well, do, do you think, can you trust him because he's scared? Well, it's true, I am. <laughs> I mean, I've counseled many, many leaders who have fallen into adultery, and I've seen the high price tags for infidelity, so yeah, I'm scared, but that wouldn't be why Mary Alice would trust me. You say, well, it's probably Mary Alice because of all the, the millions of great things that you've done for Mark. And that's true, she has. But that wouldn't be why she trusts me. Mary Alice trusts me to be faithful because she has put my tr- her trust in my love for her. Because see, love will do what nothing else will do. And the Bible says, we know we're okay because we have believed and we put our confidence in his love for us. Well, I'm a flawed person. God is a perfect person, and he has perfect love. And could I just tell you, no matter where you've come from, where you've been, whether you've been religious in your life or irreligious in your life, you really can put your confidence in God's love for you. Because I want to tell you something. Your mind can be in a million places today, but I want to tell you the truth. You're going to die someday. And five seconds after you breathe your last breath, you're going to be somewhere forever. I want to know that I know that I know where I'm going. I want to know that I know my eternal life is secure. I can tell you today, you can put your confidence in his love for you. And I'm in overtime. I'm seriously in overtime, and I apologize for that. But I want to just tell you this. I don't want to leave today without giving you an opportunity to put your heart in God's hands. You've seen the Jesus life. It ain't religion, folks. It's a relationship. And if you want to have that relationship, you've already seen. I mean, I've laid this out for you, so I don't need to say any more. All you have to do is put your trust in the one who loves you. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. I'll pray it slowly. And if you decide you want to say these things to God, you can. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I'm putting my trust in your love. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. Help me live the Jesus life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you just prayed this prayer with me. I have a gift bag I want to give you. It's got a Bible just like I preach from and use the New Spring Bible. It's got a DVD, a book I wrote that will help you answer a lot of questions. All you got to do is go to any info center and just say, I prayed with Mark, and they will give you this. We'll be back next weekend. God bless you. Have a great week.